as entrepreneurs, we're optimistic. We want to believe people. We really, we have this energy where we want to do amazing things. And people pick up on that. They do want to help us on their journey as long as they get their cut. Or the my, my favorite ones is we're double your business or you know, six months strategy to being 10x of your revenue today in 10 months. Th- those guys make a lot of money. But you really think it's easy to 10x your revenue because some guy showed up and showed you a shortcut? There's no shortcuts. There's none. This is a grind. And if you don't think this is a grind and you think there's this yellow brick road to instant valuation and exit, then you're going into it with your with rose colored glasses. This is a lot of work, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit? yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. I first met today's guest when we were both honored with the distinction of our companies being included in the Forbes Next 1000. Since meeting him, I've seen him write some incredibly inspiring thought leadership, and it's evident that he has an incredible passion for giving back to other founders. So today on The Dirt, we're going to do just that and take a deep dive into scaling teams and processes responsibly from his early days in the Navy to bootstrapping and growing his own company into the Inc. 5000. Founder and CEO of Unity Communications, Patrick Brown, welcome to The Dirt. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. You bet, man. So let's let's Pleasure. get down in the dirt. <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit of who you are and and how you got here. Yeah, so it, a really really interesting journey. I I never actually specifically tried to get where I am. It just happened because you know it happened organically. But basically, my journey is probably very, very similar to a lot of the people out here on the podcast today, your listeners. We're in corporate America. We're grinding it out. We're putting eight to 10 hours days. We're really, you know, in that world, it's all about hitting that number, all about getting there, all about, you know, at the end of the day, performance, especially in sales, development. And every sales guy knows that their number is indicative as how much is the company making, how much am I doing? Like if I my quote is a million a year, I'm making this company four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, and it's it's a grind day in and day out. You're a hero on day you know you're a hero when you make your quota, but on day one you're back to zero. Mm-hmm. So when my daughters uh, were born and I was slugging it out with a SaaS companies, I was missing out on all of the the main milestones. So I left corporate America to basically become a master agent and basically a commission-only salesperson because I started to believe in myself because every big corporate company, you look at the infrastructure and and you're thinking, 
I could probably do this better mm. or there's an efficiency here or this this you know the service delivery manager here just doesn't care about their job so when I got my own contract is basically so I can control my time yeah. and so I would prospect while they were sleeping so when they would wake up and I was a single dad so that you know they would wake up we would do our morning routine they would take naps in the afternoon I would do a lot of administrative follow-up work we'd have an amazing afternoon and dinner together they go to sleep I would do all my proposals and prep for the next day so uh, and that's the one thing that I was willing to do that a lot of people weren't is I was ready to sacrifice my social life I was ready to sacrifice uh, any kind of dating life and I was also focused on the fact that there's these two humans that I'm responsible for that I want to see them walk. I want to see them do all these milestones. And I don't want to be, I don't want them to be in a daycare with a stranger and they get to take at these milestones when they were mine. I wanted to be there for them. So I was really motivated to do that. And my pitch to the clients that I had relationships with in corporate America is, and I'll use you as an example. Hey, Jim, this is Patrick. Remember me? I helped desire, design your IT infrastructure. I'm striking it out on my own. I think you were impressed with the work I did. And I'm telling you, I will do so much work for free right now and really lower your costs, design a better infrastructure for you because I don't have any customers right now. You will have all of my time. I'm just asking you for an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And there were so many people that said, I admire that, or you know what? I've often thought about doing that. I would be more than happy to do this. And so the value I brought was I was willing to do all the audit work, design work. I was ready to do all of that for free where most of my competitors would charge a consulting fee, or maybe they would charge an hourly fee. But at the end of the day, the deliverable was if I can bring a product or service that brings you value and we have that relationship, you will then buy from me. And that worked. So within six months, I booked $2 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, those projects take six months. And I just was feeling really good that I can call and I can be transparent. I'm a small one man shop, but you worked with me. You see my work before in the past, it was successful. I make you look good. Yeah. Then, then yeah. So that was basically my step out, controlled my time. And then I had to build a back office and I became really good at building back offices. And so it transformed me into the guy who can build a back office operations for other companies and that's how i ended up where i am today <laughs> that's 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 fascinating and, and vulnerable so thank you for that i mean it's you know we all think we have to put on this face as founders of showing our best to the world but it's it's okay to say hey i need to help i need a helping hand right i need i need somebody to be my first customer i need somebody to yes. to know that i've done good work in the past and and take me on and, and believe in my dream so that's that's great to hear that something like that worked out. The, were there any times along that, you know, along that path where you you know, weren't as fortunate, right? Like you got almost bummed out when you 
when you got a no or 10 no's or a hundred no's or anything that, you know, really was kind of a, I'll call it a down spot on the journey? Yeah, you get hustled. So I, I remember giving this pitch to a very large company. The company had me do all the front end work that I promised, tens of thousands of dollars worth of work and research, mm. and they gave it to their preferred vendor. They took all of my work and gave it to their buddy. And you know what? That's going to happen to you. So my advice is you need to have 10 prospects because there's going to be a certain percentage of you. And it's not personal. It's just it's business. And so if you do free work up front, just understand that once you give it away, you may not get anything back. You just got to play the numbers and you, you do it enough. You will get a customer. You will get somebody who sees that the value in it. And then sometimes you're part of the status quo where you did all this free work and then now somebody else procures the services and mm-hmm. you're out. Well, you know, if it's going to bother you, you don't, don't play this game. Yeah. Any any other big mistakes that, that you made in, in just in general as an entrepreneur? Yes. So you're going to want to create a website one day. So a lot of digital marketing companies uh, or digital uh, publishing companies, they they have really a unique mousetrap. And I want every entrepreneurial person to put your ear to the speaker right now is that when they design the website, you need to put in a scope of work that they need to create a clean WordPress or whatever platform you're using. It needs to be clean because 75% of digital companies out there are going to put what they call proprietary code onto the website. So basically, yeah, they'll give you a website for $5,000, $1,000. But every time you need to modify or change or update your pricing, you need to add pictures, you need to really update the website, they're gonna charge you $200 an hour because they're the only ones who know how to work within that modified code. It's called the digital mousetrap, where they give you something practically for free, knowing that every time you need to update something, they get to charge you a premium and they will own everything you do on that website. So over the long term value of five years of maintaining a website, you're going to pay 20 times. So if you're going to have someone design your website, which is your digital storefront, you need to have control of it and it needs to be clean. There can't be any proprietary code. That was a $20,000 mistake for me. Mm. And when you're starting a business, $20,000 can kill you. So that was the biggest, I had to take out a loan to recover from that. Had to have my website redone all, all, all over again because I fell for it. I got, it's like, oh, this is cheap. And then turns out that every time I needed to add a page, add a feature, add this, add that, $300 here, $400 there, Hmm. and I didn't pay them, they were going to shut my website down. (sighs) Don't do it. What what should people do, if not that? (laughs) Just ask for a clean WordPress site and let them know from, let them know at the beginning that you are there to create the website but someone else is going to maintain the website, a freelancer. Like you want to get a freelancer because 20 bucks here, 30 bucks there to modify or add something is what you need. Uh, And anybody can actually update a WordPress site site now with the simple instruction. 
It's just that if they hold the keys to your digital store and you literally have to ask them to open the store so you can put goods in the window and they charge you 200 bucks, they will do it every time. Yeah, great tip there. Great tip. And and you obviously you know, went from the guy making cold calls when your kids were sleeping to mm-hmm. building a team, right? You had, you had an admin, you had a team member, you had another, you, you get it. And yeah. that's not easy, right? Talk to me about yeah. some of the, the lessons learned in, in scaling the team or building the team from the ground up. So there's often expectations of what you can afford and what the market will give you. So you're not going to, if you try to compete on salary with big companies with benefits, you're losing. You'll never, and you don't want to attract that person. Mm. What you want to do is, especially for your first couple hires, you need to hire people that are looking for a lifestyle. You know, money is not number one but they want to work remotely or they want to work at home. They want to work in a different country. You, you got to give them a lifestyle benefit. What is the benefit about working for a small company like you that has a 75% chance of going out of business in two years? Mm. Well, the benefit of it is there's a whole lot of upside, but two, I can give you what the big people, big companies are not. And what that is, is uh, I'm going to give you a lot of empowerment to make decisions. I'm going to give you a lot of ability to create your own work schedule. And at your first admin, you, you, when you train them, when you, when you build them, you really want to appease to, to their life. So I hired a single mom who moved down from Montana because the, the, you know, the, the employment there. So I paid for the relocation. I paid for them to get settled and I trained her and I allowed her to make her own hours so she could, because uh, what did I want when I started my own job? I wanted a lifestyle that supported my family. So I created a salary that was good enough for her to live on and, and, and pay the bills as a single mom and to put in a better place, school and environment for her kids. If you do that, you will have loyalty for years because you really basically met the needs of somebody that not necessarily costs a lot of money. So you can find, and and you have to really, really be creative and and take a chance on people knowing that you're not going to get this person that has this stuff built in. Go in with the mindset. If this person has 30% of the skills, but a hundred percent of the mindset, you can teach the skills. And you want to, and you really want to invest in that person, teach them, have them work with you side by side. It is probably going to be the closest relationship you have besides somebody that you're, in, you're that's in your family. They're going to know your all of your dirty secrets in the business, and they're going to help you overcome things. And you need to be able to terminate that person if you don't believe that person's a fit within three weeks. Mm. Love that. I know this person isn't keeping up. I know this person doesn't do it. Don't just say, oh, I wasted $10,000 on this person. Just look at it as if I invest another $10,000 into salary and benefits of this person, is it going to get me to where I need to? The answer is no. You need it. You need to cut and start over. And there's nothing wrong with starting over. I didn't get my admin right until number three. Yeah. I mean, 90%, 95, 99% of the way you run a business 
you're not ready for it, right? <laughs> like, like firing people is not something you're ready for, right? <laughs> but oh. it's such a necessary thing, not only for the business, but for that person too, right? Because that person needs to understand that that they've got another opportunity somewhere else, right? That might not be with your company. And it's okay to not let that fester for another three, six, 12 months, because that's just going to hurt that mm-hmm. person and the company in the end. You know, how many girls have you dated until you have that one, like, you know, serious girlfriend, right? Uh, way yeah. too many. Way, way too many. Too many. <laughs> but, you know, you weren't afraid to, like, you know, go to the next girl. So why is this any different? Instead, it's love, it's money, right? Yeah. And you, you need to be able to say, you know what? I don't, I think she's good enough to date. She's not good enough to marry. Well, you know what? This is a marriage, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And building people to compliment yourself and then compliment each other. And it just keeps building from there. And, and you've built a pretty awesome team at, at unity. What, what did you go through as you were building it, you know, from then two to 10 to, you know, now I think you're a hundred people, right? Or damn near. Yeah. 300 people. 300 people. Yeah. (laughs) Even more so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when that, that first admin, and then you build a team under that admin, you want to really empower them to put their values and the people under them. And you also have to understand that they they can, you, you know, when you watch them grow, you watch them handle authority, you watch them delegate. There's one metric that I always like to put it down to that will clarify whether you want to see it or not. And that metric is, do you trust them in the room if you're not around. Just like an agent represents an athlete, Mm -hmm. just like brokers represent their clients. If you're not completely confident that they will represent you in a room and they have a team under you, then, then address them. Okay, what are the needs? What kind of training can I do? What can we talk about? And if they, if you don't feel comfortable with them at that level, they need to stay there. And then you need to watch the team members. And if you have a, a team member that is starting to show promise and maybe leapfrog past that manager, you have to make room for them in the organization to do that. So what happens in a lot of corporate structures is you have really talented people being held back by their managers because their managers are threatened that this person will make them look bad, right? They they want to, and, and it's politicking, it's a little bit of that. So the moment you feel like you have politics or bureaucracy or people holding them back, you, you need to find a way to to get rid of that. So by betting, letting your, your, your best people shine and by giving them projects, giving them other duties, then you can organically build your own team. And I actively recruit people that are currently being held back by their managers. And I'm, I just quietly say on LinkedIn or whatever, hey, I noticed you've been doing this work for so many years, you know, but you're not in a decision-making authority. Would Is this something that you're interested in? Because every person making the decisions has someone underneath them doing all the grunt work. A good example is someone doing uh, developmental training. So they they basically put an agenda together, but they have their underlings do all of the research, all of the reaching out and and putting together the itinerary, all these different things. 
that there's a person underneath the decision maker that is doing all the work, but they're getting all the credit. I want to find those people so they can do the work and get the credit and empower other people. And they know what it's like to have some stupid manager hold them back. Yeah. And set them free. Just set, set them, them free. free. Yeah. And, and and the key is 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 culture is you you want to treat people no different than you. I want to work from home. I want to I you know I want opportunities, and I treat every one of my agents as a partner because if one of my agents allows me to bill a client for ten dollars an hour, yet their costs are five or six dollars an hour, they know that there's a margin, there's a spread. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, be very transparent about that. Give them opportunities. Don't try to hide financial incentives from them. Pay people what they're worth. But more importantly, give them a lifestyle and a culture that really empowers them to do things that they haven't before and increase their lifestyle. So I know I'm going on and on, but like I'm really, really, it's worked for me really well. It's worked for my partners. And at the end of the day, your frontline people that are doing a lot of the field work, their goal, treat them well, give them hugs, tell them appreciation. We don't hear from CEOs and, and leaders enough how much they appreciate them because I have the life I have because of them. I, we need to give back. And if that means that you're taking a, a small pay cut, well, a small pay cut for stability and happiness, those those values will bleed into the company and they will work a lot harder for you. Yeah. Well, well said. And you know, you, uh, you're building teams, you're building people, you're doing all of these things to drive growth. And and one of these people comes to you and says, they've got an opportunity, right? Somewhere else. Do you hold them back from that opportunity or do you encourage that opportunity? How do you treat something like that when somebody's going to leave you that you've put so much time and energy into? Uh, so I just had this conversation three weeks ago. Someone got an amazing offer, uh, does a lot of our digital marketing to be uh, a creative decision maker. And I don't have ta- room for time, r- room in that program. So the conversation went like this, this is I have this opportunity and it's a lot more money and everything. And, you know, I I looked at her and I said, this is an incredible opportunity. I would be really, really proud to know that I helped you get to this point. And but before you leave, you know, and I I would even endorse uh, and send a letter to them blessing the exit. Could you give me 30 days so you can find a suitable replacement ultimately so that there's there's always a relationship between us and that really meant a lot for her she cried i was really happy for her selfishly i was devastated because she does some amazing work but if you try to hold people back from achieving their dreams and it's not with you it will fuck you. It will screw you in so many ways later because this person who has the potential to do, to rise up one day, they may be a vendor. One may they they talk about you behind your back. They do mm-hmm. all of these things. And if the the message is he really does care about our well-being, they will treat you really well. And listen, relationships, human relationships, other than a few key 
they have a three to four year span, sometimes six months, sometimes 10 years. Um, I still talk to my Navy bros 30 years, but I don't talk to anybody in high school. And so relationships are different. You have to, Richard Branson is probably the best model that when people leave you, train them well enough to do well in the world. Because there's like 20 to 30% of them do come back. Yeah. So, I mean. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. So treat them well. Now, we've talked a lot about the team side of things. I want to jump into the process since that's also something that you've got some great expertise around. When you're building teams for scale, how do you how do you build processes for scale at the same time? Yeah, so especially when people are starting out, especially founders, what I always like to do is start with the most common action item that is done on a repeatable basis and basically find the most efficient way of doing it and, and create that workflow process around it. Let's say it's a, a, a SASC troubleshooting ticket. You know, you set up a Zendesk account, you, you know, someone emails, creates a ticket, the ticket gets assigned to an agent, the agent then solves the ticket and then and then closes the ticket and the customer's happy. Take a look at the, the most common occurrence, look at it and just think, how do I make this better? How do I make it faster? Do not use another person's template. Do not use, don't go to the internet and copy workflow on, on, on the internet. You're going to get somebody else's workflow. The best example I could say is taking a template of a workflow is like taking a template of how to clean your house. Nobody knows how to clean your house better than you. You know where to start. You know what to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just what you need to make it faster. So if you take somebody's template that they've created and try to apply it to your workplace, you're screwing it all up. Start with a blank slate, look at a ticket and say, how do I make this better? And go to the agent or go to your admin or go to your team and say, how would you do this better? And be very upfront with your customer service rep or your team member. And you say, hey, guys, I don't know how to do this very well. That's why I hired you. Can you can we have a call every week to talk about how we can do this more efficiently and let they're in the weeds? It's like frontline soldiers that are in battle. They're going to find the best way to kill the enemy. Right. Listen to them. Put them in a meeting and take the feedback and then execute it. If they give you feedback and you don't execute it, then you're just another stupid CEO that is make having a meeting to make them look like they care. Hmm. No. How would you make this better? How would you make this faster? And then they're exercising their brains and they're creating solutions. And then now you are allow empowering them to make things efficient at the ground level. And then they'll come up with more ideas. And then all of a sudden, they've created your workflow for you. You've just empowered that decision process down to them, where honestly, you're in an ivy tower. They're down in the field. Everything needs to be done at the field level or the, or the closest to the ground as possible. Your job as the founder CEO is to give them the tools, empower them, incentivize them, give them everything that they need to do their job. And then if they do a great job, thank them, give them, you know, give them uh, appreciation and let them keep doing that again. Because the worst thing that a team is, is when they, they work on something, 
some managers say, we're going to do it better. We're going to change this. They throw it back on and then they don't like it. If they create it from the, the ground up, then not only is it more efficient, you're, you're actually using real verifiable data that ultimately is more valuable than some person who's quote unquote managing from spreadsheets. Yeah. Well said. Any, any times where you, you did the opposite, <laughs> had to learn the hard way. Yes. So we hired a Zendesk expert, an optimizing consulting person who charges $10,000 to look at everything. And we implemented it. It was a disaster. We went back and it just turns out that these consultants or these experts, they, they promise you that they're going to create this amazing, efficient and automate everything. And then you realize their, their, their real goal is to monetize you. <laughs> and I have fallen for it several times between Salesforce integrators, Zendesk integrators, and there's just no shortcut for actually you empowering your team to do the work and then you educating them and taking Udemy classes, all the different YouTube classes. There's so much really great, amazing, valuable resources out there for free. A tool is what you use. You know, the more you use it, the better you know it. And your agents and your team members will know it better than you. If you hire an expert, be careful. Maybe they can do some training, but hire trainers first, train them on the tools, see if the improvements come. And if they don't improve, then maybe go to the next level. But realize when you're quote unquote hiring optimization experts and training experts, you are bringing in a company that's ultimate goal is to monetize you. And and vet and vet them just because they say they're an expert doesn't mean that they are. Right. There's, right. there's all too many experts out there, quote, air quote experts right out there that actually are are the worst when it comes to that. And it sounds like you've had some experience with that as, as well, Patrick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as entrepreneurs, we're optimistic. We want to believe people. We really we have this energy where we want to do amazing things and people pick up on that. They do want to help us on their journey as long as they get their cut. Or the, my, my favorite ones is we're double your business or you know, six months strategy to being 10x of your revenue today in 10 months. Those, those guys make a lot of money, but you really think it's easy to 10x your revenue because some guy showed up and showed you a shortcut. There's no shortcuts. There's none. This is a grind. And if you don't think this is a grind and if you think there's this yellow brick road to instant valuation and exit, then you're going into it with your with rose colored glasses. This is a lot of work, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Right. Or the, or the ones that if they can do certain aspects of that, make sure it's in a niche. Right. Make sure that that they've done it before you uh, talk to people who they they've done it for. And make sure that their incentive is aligned with yours, right? Because the cash for fee consultants typically often don't know what they're doing <laughs> or they're, they they're in it just to monetize you, right? But if they are willing to bet on your success and align theirs to yours and part of their compensation or even all of it is connected to that, man, those are the ones who actually tend to know what they're doing <laughs> because then that means everyone wins. That's the idea of it. Yeah, so I have what's called an earnout clause in my consulting contracts. 
that whatever, let's say you want to charge me $5,000 a month for 10 hours in consulting in this particular space. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will give you $2,000 a month, but the earn out will be X percentage after six months we implement it and we see positive value. Right. And the earn out will actually be 120, like let, let's say the total contract is ten, is $100,000. I'll make the earn out, make him earn probably $120,000 because there's now an incentive for him to create a structure or for him to give you advice that ultimately uh, matches what he's pitching to you. So if a consultant is not willing to take less money in return for a higher bonus that he is, then what does that tell you? Yeah. The same thing it tells you if a salesperson doesn't want part of their money to be connected to closing deals, right? Or getting leads or whatever their role is. It tells you that they don't really know how to do their job all that well. Yeah. So I I remember presenting a couple of these contracts and they said, we have a minimum amount of money we need to pay our people. And I said, well, you're, you're a $200 million a year consulting firm. You can wait six months to make sure we get what you promised. Mm-hmm. They went away. Well, you have a good filtering process. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. At the end of every one of these shows, we tend to close it off on what I call the founder five. And the, the audience knows this, but but you don't, Patrick. And which is really just five quick hit questions on all things growth, which is what we talk about here. So the first one is the key KPI or or measure that you're relentlessly focused on? Profit margin. Okay. So we keep our margins within a certain range. If the margins go above the range, we pay our people more. Mm -hmm. If the margins go down, we need to charge our customers more. At the end of the day, that one KPI of profit margins aligns all of the financial aspects of the business. And because we share our margins with our employees, when we tell them and we show them our quarterly margins, and we're a privately held company, we don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, we're falling below this, so we're going to do this, everyone's on board. Mm -hmm. Because without a fundamental metric that you're profitable, then it all falls apart. It's the foundation. Your profit margins are 5%. Well, you just lost it because of inflation. Yeah. You're yeah. fucked. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> if your profit margins are 70% and then now, you know, people are, are going, to, your employees are going to think you're a greedy motherfucker. You know, it's just right. Jesus Christ. Like, like how much money does a guy need? So what is that profit margin? It's going to be different. That, But that's my number one KPI. And if you're not profitable yet, then what you want to do is you want to build a model that in year one, year two, year three, this is the profit margin I would like to have and design your infrastructure around that. So when you eventually get there, everything is tied to that number. Think of it as the Fed rate. <laughs> it's like you see, that's the number one. That's the moneymaker that that keeps everybody happy and sleeping at night. Well, that's great. The next one is top tip for founders that are in their growth stage. Okay, so basically, let go. You need to find people that can do, and this is where outsourcing and freelancing and is really key. 
when you're growing fast, you need to find out what action items, what deliverables, what daily operations activity is entry level, is repetitive, and how can you outsource it? Because by outsourcing it for somebody for $10 an hour, $12 an hour, it, it scales. Now we get into that conversation of should you outsource in the U.S. or in the United or 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 offshore? You know, everybody makes their own decisions. But what I can tell you is there's not enough people in the U.S. right now. There's mm-hmm. you can have a really hard time hiring people. America's rugged individualism, lot of very very amazing, smart, talented people. You're only going to get them to do entry level jobs for so long. So come up with a way to if you're going to grow. You want to uh, stack everything in highly measurable, repeatable processes and hire someone to do that. So that frees up your time to concentrate on key partnerships. And tips on growth stage is Jack Ma's phrase to me, it's easier to get fat off shrimp than it is on whales. So Mm. if you're chasing that big whale and it falls through, you just put yourself back one to two years, put together the curve of the size customer that you need to go after, put it in the middle and just concentrate on those. So, nice. yeah. So the whales, I mean, they, they know. And if you're if 90% of your revenue is with the whale, they know it and they're going to abuse you. Oh yes, they will. <laughs> okay. Next one here. Favorite book or podcast that's helped you grow as a founder. Seth Godin, Icarus Deception. Nice. I'm not going to ruin it for your audience. Seth Godin is somebody that has influenced my business life incredibly. He's very dry. He's black and white. He's really amazing. He's helped a lot of business owners. Just listen to his podcasts. And what you understand is that his his teachings and his podcasts and his books are really, really fundamentally linked to companies that have succeeded. Like you don't want to fly too close to the sun. There's, there's, and, and there's another book he has called purple cow, like cows are a commodity, but then you see a purple one and all of a sudden <laughs> I want that one. I don't know why it's just purple. I want that yeah. cow. I want to, so, so what makes you stand out in the market? And one of the, like, like we talked about Dell technologies, everybody was making computers at the time. The reason why Dell was successful is they made the personal computer. They made it personal. So in, in a market that was saturated, he basically Seth Godin's lesson is that is in a crowded market, create your own category. So by creating your own category, you now are the only supplier in that category. And if you market it like that, then all of a sudden, you know, you are a differentiator. Nice. All right. Favorite actor or not favorite actor. Sorry. Actor that would play you in a movie. Well, maybe throw in your favorite actor, too. <laughs> all right. So I don't know his name, but it would probably be the le- the guy who won Squid Games, Asian-American. Didn't know how he got to that point, but he was lucky because a lot of people, he ended up at the right places at the right time and kind of bewildered at how it all happened and figuring it out along the way. And at the right moments when he's like, uh, you know, cutting a, a piece of the of the um, the cookie out in the right shape 
he did perform at exactly the right time that he needed to, or else his life would end. <laughs> he made the right partnerships in in the Squid Games, you know, gangster areas, and he he just was lucky enough. But he did see something, so it, it would it would be him. And I would love his long, beautiful hair. Yeah, he did have nice hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and is that your favorite actor too or you got a favorite actor you want to throw in there i'm a keanu guy what can i say this, okay all right keanu, the matrix <laughs> yeah it's just like how, how do you not love that guy yeah absolutely all right last one here so you've uh you've accomplished everything you set out to achieve right you look back and you write an autobiography what's it called it would be called, uh, it would be something in effect that crawling out of the dumpster, the, the white trash dumpster. My story is basically white trash America. That's, you know, the white half of my family because they they created, you know, I grew up sp- several years in foster care. Um, there was a lot of neglect. There was a lot of abuse. My mom was trafficked here. It wasn't a traditional story. So it was really, really the, the subculture of small Texas, very, very white trash, very, very neglected community, very angry community, a lot of abuse. And the fact that I came from those backgrounds to now a global CEO and the the journey that took me through, I would really, really focus on the fact that I grew up in these communities. I survived these communities. I am grateful for being part of those communities. I would never go back. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that I have evolved out of those communities. You know, when when I look at between hip hop culture and all the different, you know, genres of music where they're from a certain part of America that America doesn't like to address, talk about the struggle, um, especially with people of color, you make one small mistake, you're incarcerated. And, you know, me, you know, surviving in a world where human trafficking was really prevalent and abusive and targeted my family and in that community there, it would be the fact that I, I came from literally a pile of white trash. And now I have a successful life, which which tells me that if you have access to a laptop, computer, internet, YouTube, and you have a phone, you can make sales, you can get out. You just need to, you know, you have to get out of those communities to put people around you that are positive impact. You need to have your family, your DNA family is not believing in you, encouraging you. There's strangers out there that, that you haven't met yet that will help you. I my life was changed by a teacher and strangers, the LGBTQ community, the Navy. None of obviously my family's very defunct dysfunctional. We can't have a relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. But I found a way. And there's so many ways to to get out. You just gotta put in the work. Yeah. I mean, you you can live in a two hundred dollar share room. But you have a laptop and you have a cell phone. I mean, like that's a library, internet of knowledge that can empower you to do so many things. Because people like me, there's a community of people like you 
that is willing to give out information to people because what we do is hard and fulfilling and we want to see other people succeed. So there is a community of people out there. So that would be the kind of the end of the biography and the beginning of the biography. Yeah, that's cool, man. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And you've given so much over the last hour to everyone listening and, and me too. Any way that we might be able to help and offer you a little bit of promotion? Yeah, so I build teams offshore uh, between Latin America and the Philippines. We are very, very, we, we understand what it's like to be in startup mode. So we don't have any contracts. We only need to start with one full-time person. And we can build a team for you between the Philippines. We even have centers in the United States. But but mostly if you want some advice, you want, you know, if you're looking at building a team and you, you want to reach out, if I'm not a fit, I have a lot of resources uh, that, you, that you can reach out to. My website's really simple, unity-connect.com. You can click on the schedule meeting and get a meeting with me. You know, I, I, I always take the first call because it's a partnership. And what I want to do to, you know, tell all the, the founders is what you're doing is brave. What you're doing is amazing. What you're doing is life changing. And if I can be part of that journey for you, I, I would love it because it's not so much about money for me. But if I can help you go from startup, five people, 10 people, uh, no revenue to 10 million in revenue, why do I need a contract? If I build an amazing team for you and I help you get to an evalu evaluation and exit, I mean, ultimately, the end goal for you, it may be different from ours, but if we can help get you there, then I'm a vendor for life. You'll pay my invoice first. So, <laughs> so yeah, so unity-connect.com. I'm Patrick Brown. You can schedule a meeting with me uh, on my calendar. Do you really need to scale your teams or have questions? And I am a resource for your audience. Awesome, Patrick. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time on The Dirt. Okay. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jim. Take care. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt. <laughs>